Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. I'm Arnie Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's, no matter which scenario I explore, it's going to end up in civil war, crazed, hazed, and partially phased little world. As always, my darlings, we try to present our information with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day. We are not always successful, I will admit to that, but we are honor bound to give it a shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love shots. Yes, we do. Our rally cry is Awaken, O oh my people. Do not follow the path of the sheeple. <laughs> And do not give our God cause to weeple. If you're joining us for the very first time, a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, we do not do politically correct. Oh my God, we don't do that. Because we do not wish to erode our intellect. The erosion of our collective intellect at this moment in time, all over the world, I think, it's, it's painful to observe. Now, we martini heads, we are straight-talking, straightforward folks. We may be direct, but we come from a core of respect. And we don't make stuff up here. We don't do fakery, schmakery, just to up our numbers. What you see is what you get. We value common decency, common courtesy, common sense, soul sovereignty, and of course, Something very important that's in peril at this time, our national sovereignty, and there's very good reason for that. When we use labels, we do so for identification purposes. We're strictly non-partisan because if you haven't figured it out by now, let me tell you, all parties are in the can. Our world, it's lost its moral compass, and without a moral compass, the political arena is nothing more than a never-ending power play, benefiting a small group of sociopaths, gorging themselves on the fat of the land, while the rest of humanity, masked up and screaming blue murder if anyone gets too close, begs for scraps under tables, groaning with the fruits of its own labor. That's how messed up everyone is today. And honestly, by now, with so many, how many times have we done this throughout history? Light versus dark, human versus establishment. How did we become such feeble-minded morons? Well, my darlings, regrouping here, that is what this show is all about. Looking at the bigger picture, stepping outside the carefully crafted establishment narrative. And let me tell you, it is not for the faint of heart. If you are one of the millions who would rather sleep comfortably in the manufactured illusion, the matrix, as it were, if you're content to do as you're told, eat what you are given, behave as ordered and believe everything the daily spin churns out, then this show is not for you. Because then clearly you are nothing more than a free range human living on some gigantic corporate tax farm. So if you are that person, May God bless you and illuminate your mind, but move along now. There's nothing here for you to see. If, on the other hand, you have capacity for objective thought, 
and wish to better understand the marvels of cosmic co-creation, to enjoy your incarnation, and to do something useful with it, you might hear something of value in the next hour. Who knows? Life, my darlings, is supposed to be an adventure. And an adventure is excitement, frontiers, journeys, laughs, tears, up, down, left, right, smiles, frowns, all sorts of things. But it will all get sorted out in the end. After a good rest, once we've had this incarnation, well, we're off on another adventure because that's what we are. We were created by creator to be cosmic co-creators. <clears throat> Lots of creating in there. Created as space adventures. We are space adventurers. That's what we are, like the Star Trek people, to boldly go and do bold things whenever we get there, wherever there is. Today, my darlings, is January the 6th, 2021, and my first podcast of the new year. So I am going to toast you all with my cocktail. Welcome to 2021. If you had fun in 2020, Believe me, that was just a dry run. Cheers, my darlings. I love you all. Oh, now that is a damn fine cocktail. <laughs> mm. Okay, January the 6th. What an auspicious day. Well, for starters, it happens to be Christmas for Armenians all over the world. Why do I mention that? Well, my family are Armenian. Yes, I'm from London and all of that, but our race ancestry is Armenian. So if you are one of the Armenian Orthodox Christians anywhere in the world, let me say to you, To everybody else, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. May we all live in the light of God's golden grace and see each other through God's eyes. God is great. Let us never forget that. So there we are. Merry Christmas. What else is happening today, January the 6th, 2021? Is it the final date on the electoral calendar before the presidential inauguration? Um, let's see. Congress is meeting in a joint session to count and certify states' electoral college votes. Whew. All hell broke loose today, didn't it? As we know, this election was won by a landslide by POTUS Trump. Trumpus. And as we know, in a last ditch effort to save their sorry asses, the cabal committed fraud on a massive scale to alter the results. And I think, my darlings, that's treason, isn't it? Um, and anybody who is not a clueless fool aid drinker, of course, uh, and a sociopath, um, you know, do you not think at this point that deep state are dumping in their diapers big time at the prospect of facing a firing squad? Wouldn't it be wonderful if they just gave up and said, look, we're sorry, but we'd rather take our stripes on this realm while we're in physical form than face being on the other side and uh, anything that's waiting for us there. You know, Pence apparently, what did he do? Pence refused to challenge. Is that a game or is he a deep state traitor? We really don't know because these are the misinformation wars. Misinformation is the weapon. Both sides are playing misinformation. That's just how it has to go. But I do have a message for deep staters. And when I call, you know, deep staters, I don't mean people who voted Democrat or Republicans who are spineless or libertarians who don't quite know which way to go, except they know that they just don't want to go anywhere. I'm one of those. I just want to give this message to the people, the sociopaths out there. And the people who support them without thinking about why they're supporting them. <sighs> I have spoken about deep state for decades now. The corruption runs across the board. And that is why I ask people to step away from the immaturity of partisan politics and focus on good versus evil, dark versus illumination. To all of you, politicians, governors, counselors, representatives, senators, to all of you who have accepted money from the darkness and are fighting to prevent exposing corruption in their ranks by blocking POTUS, Trumpus, you are not worthy of the title American. You have shown your true colors and those colors are dark, dirty, 
deviant, and they do not serve the betterment of mankind. To those people I say, take a moment to think on how future generations will review and assess your actions. Your names will go down in history as the greedy buggers who had no thought for anything or anyone beyond stuffing your pockets with bribe money. Is that the legacy you wish to leave for your progeny? Then, of course, there is this. How will you review and assess your actions on the other side after your mortal death, possibly by execution for treason? You had the chance to alter the course of history, to expose and dismantle the machinery of the totalitarian state. And instead, you chose to line your own pockets with blood money. Shame on you. I freely admit there are moments when I struggle to maintain grace. I am disgusted by your actions. It would be better to admit your mistakes while incarnate. It's not too late to do that, by the way. It's not too late to do that now, to serve the light <clears throat> and avoid time in heaven's underbelly. Trust me on this. I've been there. <laughs> you do not want to go there. We're in a battle right now. World War Three, light versus dark. Complacency just isn't acceptable. Apathy, disinterest. You know, a physical incarnation is not a spectator sport. We're all in this orchestra together. Well, I have spoken, haven't I? All right. Then let's get on with questions, answers and comments. Quack. Darlings, if you would like to share the contents of your enlightened and cosmically attuned minds with the good people of planet Earth, send your questions, comments, and delectable diatribes to me. And who am I? Ani at AniAvadistian.com or AniAvadistian at Hotmail.com. And if you prefer snail mail, because some do, you send that to Cosmic Ani, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, America the Beautiful. And please let me know if and how you wish to be identified. If you prefer to remain anonymous, we're big fans of anonymous. If you prefer, prefer to remain anonymous, that's fine. I will refer to you as OPD, omit personal details. All right, let's have another drinky poo. By that, I mean, let's take a sip from the one drinky poo that I drink throughout the entire show. If I had more than one drinky poo, there would be no showy poo. All right, <clears throat> la 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 la. Let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what jumps out. Shaky, 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 shaky. All right, first question. This comes from Ken who lives in a town called Ogden and that's in Kansas. And Ken says, does black magic really exist or is it hokey in the pokey? And if it does exist, where do you learn the rituals? Ken, your question disturbs me. <laughs> well, Ken, if you are going to ask if black magic exists, then I suppose we should ask if white magic exists. And for that matter, I suppose the question we're asking is what is magic? Hmm. So by definition, if we were to look it up in a dictionary, magic noun, it would probably say something along the lines of the power of apparently influencing the course of events by using supernatural and mysterious forces. For example, suddenly, as if by magic, the door to the kitchen started opening. God, if you knew how many times in my career I have heard that. You know, uh, it's about, what is it? Magic, magic. People think, what do you think about magic? A man with a top hat pulling a rabbit out of it? Or do you think of sorcery, witchcraft, wizardry, necromancy, enchantment, spell working? You know, working with supernatural powers, the occult, thaumaturgic, 
Hmm. Interesting. It does sort of conjure up a little bit of darkness, doesn't it? But it's also very captivating and charming and enchanting and magical. Yep. Yep. I can see why people are interested by this. Um, well, you know, one has to say, isn't everything outside a person's current area of familiarity unknown and therefore a mystery? Magic remains a mystery, but it's a mystery is something you just don't know about. I suspect, Ken, that when you refer to black magic, you are asking about some sort of spellcraft and some sort of ritual used for evil. So a spell, that type of thing. What is a spell? It's another version of setting an intention. For a white witch, and I really am reluctant to use these phrases, but I want to use something that's fairly familiar. For people who are Wiccans or, you know, white witches, people who use their intentions, their powers to align with the divine and do good for the betterment of mankind, all they're doing is, um, well, a spell is another version of a prayer, really, uh, just with more colorful candles. Um, and in, an intention is... It's just an intention. It can be colored any which way you please. A thing intended, an aim, a plan, an intent, an objective, a goal, a target, a design, a plan. So we could accurately define white magic as setting good intentions and black magic as setting intentions of a dark nature. So, yes. If magic exists, then white magic exists. And if magic exists, then black magic exists. You can wish someone harm and focus on that. Or you can wish someone well and focus on that. Now, Ken, should I be concerned about you asking me where to go to learn black magic rituals? You might want to send me another email and explain yourself a little better. You see, there is a universal law that says you will reap that which you sow. Your desire for others will return to you threefold or tenfold or a thousandfold, depending on which group has predetermined the numerical comeback. Now, I happen to know quite a bit about black magic and quite a bit about black magic dark rituals, not because I'm a black magician. I am not, not in the least. I live in the light. God help me and guide me to stay there always. But because in my line of work, I've been, I have been employed by many different organizations and people, and some of those definitely had nefarious intent. So let's see. Um, I would say the core of the cabal, the deep state, the Illuminati, Lucifer's enslaved, Lucifer's minions, whatever you want to call them, they have some pretty spectacular black magic rituals. In fact, I'm sure we've noticed they're using one on the entire planet right now, and it has an exceedingly long name. It's called Pretend There Is a Pandemic and Squash Everyone's Free Will Until They Have No Motivation Left and Will Accept the Results of a Clearly Fraudulent Election as the Truth and Keep Doing It Until They Round Us Up and Execute Us. But we hope it won't come to that, but it probably will. But we are committed to the darkness now, so we are between a rock and a hard place and shit, it hurts. Well, that's not... What it started out being named, it started out being named, let's dominate the world and poop on everyone. But I think it's backfiring now on them. Ken, I want to thank you for this question. Um, I don't like to spend too much time talking about the black magic because it's so misunderstood. But uh, one thing that does concern me, please write to me and don't do anything you might regret. Um, or I should say, or do if you want. I mean, I'm not your mother or anything, but Ken, would you surf the internet without Norton or McAfee, without a firewall? No, you wouldn't, you see, because the minute you put yourself out there on the internet without any type of protection, any bug, any virus can come in and it'll crash your computer. And we all know that's very expensive. Well, it's the same thing when you're messing with forces that you don't understand. Naivety can be quite dangerous sometimes. So please don't go out and do anything stupid. 
write to me first and I will guide you appropriately. So cheers for the question, Ken. And uh, white magic is white prayer work. Cheers. All right, let's see what else is there, what else is there, what else is there? We had sort of um, quite a few questions on paranormal stuff this time, which is great because <clears throat> it's my job. And it makes a really refreshing difference from all of the deep state stuff we've been talking about. But of course, we have to talk about that stuff because shamanic work is about letting the spirit inhabit the human. And so we have to talk about how our spirituality or lack thereof is creating our current experience. But I have to say, it's kind of nice to be talking about other things for a change. All right. The fishbowl of perplexed perception. What is in there? Ah, oh, yes, here's one. <clears throat> Excuse me, people. <coughs> Arnie, that's me. Do you think the Loch Ness monster is real? <laughs> this email is from Kerry, who's in Perth. And I'm not sure because it's an email. I don't know if it's Perth, Scotland or Australia. Uh, Kerry, mm, I don't believe a monster lurks in Loch Ness but you know who can be sure so Loch Ness I've actually been there it is the largest lake I believe by volume in the UK and it's huge man it's 22 miles long it's about a mile wide and at its deepest about 950 feet and it's part of a deep crack that runs right across Scotland that's called the Great Glen um, and this crack, it runs coast to coast. And the Great Glen was formed, uh, well, we think by earthquakes and we think probably 400 million years ago. Who can be sure? Uh, and it was further deepened by more sort of glacier activity. And at the northernmost end of the lock, there's a town called Fort Augustus. And at the southern end is Inverness. And I'm told that the lock was pretty much inaccessible until the 18th century because there was one road which was steep and very windy windy and that was the only way to get to Fort Augustus but in the 1930s they blasted a road out of the northern shore and only then was Loch Ness accessible to, to one and all so I think we can be sure and say that no one visited the lock with any regularity until the 1930s. Now, and I dug around a little bit on this one and I thought to myself, so did anyone spot any monsters in Loch Ness pre-1930s? Well, I found a reference from um, the life of Saint Columba and that would be circa 564 Common Era. Apparently, a sea creature killed a fisherman and when St. Columba went to investigate, the creature appeared, but retreated when Columba made the sign of the cross. Right. Well, I'm sure that's true. Uh, not. Anyway, there were a handful of sightings of some creature or another in the 19th century. 1879, there was uh, some children playing there, I guess, and they reported seeing an enormous creature waddling into the water. Well, you know, kids make stuff up and it could be true. Or perhaps they saw their overweight nanny having a skinny dip after too many drams of the water of life. Who knows? I found another um, reference to it. There was a, ho a hotel keeper. He thought he saw something in 1895, as did a forester, a lumberjack here in America, both described it as a as a horrible wee great beastie. So it's a wee beastie, but it's a great beastie. Um, they said it's a, it's a weird sight in the water. Well, water does cast reflections, doesn't it? I mean, the ripples cast reflections. You know, many of us have stared at a body of water and seen something weird. Um, men in the bath do it all the time. And so the question to ask is this. Has anyone seen this Nessie monster on dry land? That's where I want to go. Well, apparently, yes, they have. Mm. So mm, that is a lovely cocktail. July 22nd, 1933. One Mr. and Mrs. Spicer apparently were on their way home to London after a lovely holiday in the Highlands. 
And so the story goes, they were driving along the southern road from Fort William to Inverness, which would be the old 18th century road then, when about 200 yards ahead of them, they saw a trunk-like object stretched across the road. They said it was moving and it had a long neck and it was gray in color, about five feet high and moved in an awkward, jerky fashion. And Mr. Spicer described it as a horrible abomination. But by the time they reached the spot where the wee beastie was spotted, it had crawled off into the bushes. Now, of course, this made the news. And once the Spicer story hit the headlines, others came forward with their stories. And what's interesting to me, because I do investigate paranormal activity, it's a huge part of my job, not with machinery and stuff, because, you know, I have an intuitive skill set, but it's a big part of my life. So what's interesting to me is, do the stories match up? And do these people know each other? Well, apparently not, but they, do ma they don't know each other, but the stories matched up. They all describe the same type of creature, gray, elephant-like skin, and a long neck. And one witness, Margaret Monroe, who was a maidservant, um, claimed that she saw Nessie and followed Nessie on dry land for 20 minutes and saw it go back into the water, propelling itself with two small front flipper type things. Okay, that's interesting. And I know that if I keep digging and keep digging, I'll find more witness accounts. But um, does anyone have any photographs of this wee beastie? Well, apparently, yes. November the 12th, 1933, one Hugh Gray of the British Aluminium Company. I know in America we say aluminum, but it's the British Aluminium Company was walking around the lock, you know, as one does. And he was carrying a camera as one does. And he saw a creature rising up out of the water. He wasn't expecting necessarily to see a creature rising out of the water, but he managed to get a shot of it while its head was about three feet above the water. It's not a clear photo, but it was 1933 and he took it in a hurry. So I think it was a bit blurred. And Mr. Gray, well, it seems he was worried he might be ridiculed and he left the film undeveloped in the camera until his brother couldn't stand it anymore and took the camera, took the film and got it developed. And it was published in the Scottish Daily Record and the London Daily Sketch on December 6th, 1933, along with a statement from the Kodak Company stating that the negative had not been retouched or tampered with in any way. Ooh. <laughs> as far as I know, any other photographs have proved to be fakes, hoaxes. Over the years, there have been numerous sightings. Even the Air Force got involved. In 1966, I think it was, um, there was an RAF, um, God, what are they called? Uh, Joint Air Photographic Intelligence Center. Uh, they analyzed the film, and that would have been a 16 millimeter film at that time. And it was taken, you know, by this aeronautical engineer called Tim Dinsdale. But the best that the Royal Air Force could say was that whatever was on the Dinsdale film was not a boat or a submarine. That's all they could say. But the same year, 1966, the film was given to and examined by a computer enhancement expert from NASA. You know NASA, not a space agency. And they claimed they found other parts not seen in the unenhanced film. They thought they saw two more parts that appeared to be attached to an animate body. Ooh. And I'm quite sure, because this is a long time ago now, I've been in the States a long time, and I haven't been to Loch Ness for probably 35 years, maybe 40 years. I'm pretty sure I remember that the Royal Navy sent a mini submarine down into Loch Ness, complete with mini submariners, and that their sonar blips confirmed the presence of something moving down there, but they couldn't say what it was, and they certainly couldn't say it was a monster. Now, you're all thinking, why is it so difficult, even though the lake is really big, to find a monster in it? I mean, surely you can see stuff in water. Well, most of the time, yes, but you see, Loch Ness is dark, very dark, and in some parts it's black, 
because it's filled with peat particles. The surrounding area is peat. So identifying anything is a challenge. Will we ever know? I mean, perhaps shifting timelines may have something to do with it. I've walked into places where it's not where I was and it was somewhere else and then it shifted and it was somewhere else again. That could happen. Monsters come and go. I know um, a little north of me up in Washington State at the Assetti Farm, at the Assetti Ranch, I think he calls it. Uh, there's a gateway into other worlds there and we see all sorts of interesting things like pterodactyl flying things coming out and then one minute they're there, one minute they're not. I know these things happen. You know, slipping back and forth is possible. It doesn't happen in necessarily in the way we think it does, but it does happen. So we don't know. I mean, clearly there's something there because, you know, military experts, or what has there's something there. But we have no proof that a behemoth inhabits the lock. I mean, clearly something or some things are there, but is it dangerous? Is it an abomination? I, I think we would have known by now because, you see, if it was an abomination, wouldn't it have eaten someone by now or terrorized people? I mean, if that maidservant followed it for 20 minutes, it couldn't have been that spooky, could it? So do we know? We'll never know. We'll never know until they clean up lock nests, which they will never do because it's all peat particles. We'll never know. Thank you for your question, Kerry. You know, as kids back in the UK, we were fascinated by Nessie. Um, what are we fascinated by now back in England? I think Boris Johnson's hair. That fascinates us more than anything else. All right. Well, that was fun. I'll have a drink. Mm. All right. What else is in the fishbowl today? And here. Oh, God. Oh, I have got to read this one. I have got to read this one. This is an actual letter, you know, with paper and an envelope and a stamp, and it's handwritten. I haven't seen one of these ooh, ooh, since the Second World War. Um, this is from Frank in the UK. And Frank wants to share his pet peeves with us. I've got to read this. OK, <clears throat> me, 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 me. Dear Miss Abedician, I am getting old and cranky, and I have compiled a list of things about which we can do better. Number one, flimsy plastic cutlery. Why bother? The whole point of plastic is to make it convenient and disposable. If it breaks when you try to cut, scoop or stab, it is disposable but not convenient, and it puts me in a very bad mood. Duly noted. Number two, flimsy one-ply toilet paper. Why bother? You have to use twice the amount of paper to wipe, clean and dry your bum. So where's the saving? Walking around with a wet bum puts me in a very bad mood. Uh, duly noted. And thank you, Frank, for the detailed description of your toilet protocol. Uh, number three. People who talk out loud on their mobile phones while in a queue or on the bus. Who are these wankers? Oops. <laughs> and why didn't their parents teach them manners? I, for one, have no interest in the sorry details of other people's lives and why they think we care or why they think it is acceptable to share intimate details with complete strangers. It is beyond me and it puts me in a very bad mood. I think we can all figure out where Frank is going with this. Number four. Young people who do not show pensioners any respect. A pensioner in the UK is a senior citizen. In my day, if we saw an older person struggling with their shopping or needing help in any way, we would stop what we were doing and rush over to help them. If we ignored an older person in need, or any person for that matter, my dad would give me a clip round the ear and I wouldn't have any pudding after dinner. Oh, my God, that's brutal. This type of disrespect puts me in a very bad mood. All right, um, there's more. <laughs> Number five, the crust on good granary bread, that's artisanal bread, is too hard these days. In my day, it was softer. You could toast it and still eat it easily. If you toast granary bread today, 
the crust will rip your gums apart and it does not absorb the butter. <clears throat> I have to say I like bread and the hard crust puts me in a very bad mood. All right, Frank. Number six, self-checkout at the supermarket. <laughs> How is that convenient? You need a PhD in systems operations to operate the self-checkout. Everything you scan goes beep, 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 beep until you want to scream. The machine tells you you have placed the item in the wrong area or worse, it cannot read the code and you have to enter the code by hand or by scrolling through pictures of vegetables, which you do, but then you realize you have entered the code for organic vegetables, which are expensive, and you have to cancel it and start again, by which time you are red in the face with frustration and you have to call the roving cashier who is generally as thick as two short planks and quite cocky. I miss the days when we had greengrocers and butchers and fishmongers and they knew your name, always had a smile for you, bagged everything up for you in those nice brown paper bags. I hate supermarkets. They put me in a very bad mood. Thank you for indulging me. I will write to you again. Oh, joy. Um, with more annoyances as they come up. I will end by saying that in general, I just wish people would try to do better. Well, that was refreshing. Thank you, Frank, for trusting us enough to share your frustrations with us. Maybe I'm getting a bit old and cranky, too, because on some level, I can relate to everything on your list. Our world is changing, Frank. Some call it progress. Some call it regress. I say we put the kettle on crack open a packet of McVitie's, McVitie's digestives, chase it down with a small sherry, and you know, all shall be well. Thank you, Frank. God bless you. Lovely letter. And I really like this pale blue teal ink you used. A fountain pen. Oh my gosh. What an old-fashioned gentleman. I just love you. Cheers, Frank. This sip is for you. All right. Our fishbowl is overflowing with comments today, so let's keep going. This one is from Amit Personal Details, who asks, is spontaneous human combustion an actual phenomenon? How does it happen and how can I avoid it? <laughs> Do you go around just thinking about if you're going to spontaneously combust? Um, all right. Well, it is an actual phenomenon. Um, how it happens? Well, no one has a good explanation for it. Spontaneous combustion, what is it by definition? Um, well, it occurs when an object, um, in the case of spontaneous human combustion, of course, a person, bursts into flames from a chemical reaction within, uh, and something ignites that, you know, but it's not an external heat source. So organic matter is ignited without apparent cause. Has anyone seen this? Has anyone witnessed this? Well, apparently, yes, some people say they have. But here's the thing. Fires do not typically start on their own. I mean, they can. There are certain things that, you know, um, oily rags, compost, things that ferment. And I spoke to a fireman a while ago um, about something else, but he mentioned that there are things that can spontaneously combust. But fires do not typically start on their own because, you know, when when a fire marshal goes to look for the cause of a fire, um, they don't assume that the fire started itself. If he's going to go into the forest to examine the cause of a forest fire, he's, he's going to look for a campfire or something like that. They, they're always going to go for an external source. So they think it's going to be, you know, carelessness, something like that, or lightning. Um, but it's a whole different matter now. I mean, I can understand things spontaneously combusting, but it's a whole different matter to claim that people can suddenly burst into flames for no apparent reason. I mean, obviously our bodies burn, don't they? We have crematoriums and we've always, you know, burnt bodies uh, in, instead of burying them. Uh, and, you know, we know that with enough heat, 
the human body can be reduced to ashes in the course of a few hours. But the mystery of spontaneous human combustion, I think it's to do with the strange circumstances under which the victims burst into the flames. I mean, typically, there's no obvious source of ignition, no open fires, um, nothing necessarily that you can prove an external source. Furthermore, I think there's some strange cases with the spontaneous human combustion where the person burns down to ashes, but a limb is completely intact, like both feet or one leg or one arm. And that is really interesting to me. Um, and many people said, well, the burning seems to start in the chest or the stomach area. And they've seen bodies where the torso is completely burnt away, but the legs and the hands are intact. That's kind of spooky. Um, other people claim that the furniture and the doors underneath the body are burnt. Um, and then other people say that the things around them are mysteriously left unburnt. So I think, you know, if we take a little bit, look a little bit into the forensics of fire. Fires burn out. I mean, they're self-limiting. They put themselves out naturally once they run out of fuel. I know that we always see fires on television as raging and out of control and um, burning buildings, etc. But generally, fires spread upwards. And once they run out of that immediate fuel source, they just go out. And, you know, they burn upwards, not outward. So I suppose there's nothing really paranormal per se about finding a victim in one part of a room burnt to death when the rest of the room is okay. It just has some smoke damage. You would assume that it ran out of fuel. But it doesn't explain to me the source of the ignition, and that's what baffles me with spontaneous human combustion. What could possibly cause someone to suddenly burst into flames? Um, a century or so ago, when people were just trying to figure out science, it was blamed on um, alcoholism and it was blamed on God's wrath. And it was assumed that victims of the spontaneous combustion were, were drunkards who had saturated uh, every cell of their body with alcohol. And then sometime in the 70s, there was this sort of this sort of pseudoscience, pseudopsychology suggestion that came out that said that if a person is depressed enough, they could literally be inflamed. And then other people have said, well, it could be sunspots. It could be a cosmic storm. Um, they could have so much gas in their intestine. God help us um, that, that they could explode uh, or even that there's a buildup of some sort of vibrational energy in the body. I, I don't discount anything. When you work in my field, you honestly say anything is possible, but I think all of that's rubbish. And I don't think there's any evidence for any of them. Our bodies. Well, here's the thing, isn't it? I mean, we're basically, what is that meme? We're basically cucumbers with anxiety. We're 60 to 70 percent water and water, as far as I know, is not flammable. So I think that where's, where is the mechanism by which a person could self-combust if we're 70% water. Because we're talking, I mean, ash. I mean, boom, and ash. If people could suddenly burst into flames without being near an open fire, um, well, couldn't it happen while we're actually in water? But it doesn't seem to happen anywhere near water, as far as we know. So I did a little bit of history poking around... Um, did anyone speak of combust, you know, spontaneous combustion? Well, in the 18th century, there was a, a fellow at the Royal Society in London, which just happens to be the world's oldest scientific academy in continuous existence. When was this guy? 1744. He wrote philosophical transactions and he mentioned spontaneous combustion and he described it as a process in which a human body allegedly catches fire as a result of heat generated by internal chemical activity, but without evidence of an external source of ignition. OK, I understand that. Um, did I? Am I wrong? No, I'm not wrong. I actually think uh, Charles Dickens 
in his novel Bleak House, 1853, he, uh, one, of the, one of the characters there, Crook, um, who drank a lot of gin, he had him spontaneously combust. Um, and I think also Mark Twain took up on that. And probably it became quite popular for writers of fiction because it's quite dramatic, isn't it? And then he caught fire, you know. So and then I dug back a little bit deeper and I found that there was a case of spontaneous combustion in Milan, north of Italy. A wonderful place to go shopping, by the way. Um, this was in the late 1400s when um, a noble knight named Polonus uh, what, what, what the heck was that bloke's name? I, something like Polonus Vorsitius. He allegedly burst into flames in front of his own parents. <laughs> How many times have you wanted to do that? So, I don't know. People used to really think right up until recent times that it was all to do with consuming alcohol, which makes me a little nervous. Um, you know, we could go on and on and on about that. There's quite a lot of, uh, you know, Quite a lot of digging we could do, but generally, I'm just going to have to say, um, I honestly, I have no idea. I mean, investigators have failed to successfully locate a, a possible cause of death. I, you know, we just don't know. So on that, I will just say, you know, well, hang on a minute. The body is fatty. It's all water. So there is this thing called the wick burning effect, the wick effect. So it illustrates that um, human bodies can function much like candles. Clothing or hair is the wick and body fat is the flammable substance. And apparently the theory is that the fire burns the body. The um, subcutaneous fat melts and saturates the body's clothes. And then, you know, the continuous supply of fat, in my case, quite a lot, um, keeps the wick, the wick keeps the fire burning. And the, the temperature apparently can get really, really hot, unusually high. And it keeps burning until there's nothing left to burn. And the result is a pile of ashes, um, you know, much like the cases of spontaneous human combustion. Again, I just don't know how the fire start. Scientists don't have an answer for that. Um, in all honesty, I looked at quite a few of these cases over the years, and I would say that most of the people who died of this apparent spontaneous human combustion were elderly, and they were alone, and they were sleeping near a stove, some sort of ignition source, um, you know, because that's where they were discovered you know, maybe with a lit cigarette nearby. I've heard quite a few of those and quite a few of them were drinking alcohol. I don't think it's the alcohol that caused them to set fire. But if you had a few glasses of gin and you're smoking a cigarette, well, you know, and there's no one around you. So there we go. I don't know. <laughs> you know, the elderly people who burn alone. Well, <clears throat> we can understand that they might have had a stroke. They might have had a heart attack, dropped their cigarette. Who knows? But Nearly every reported case of spontaneous human combustion has occurred without witnesses. And, and that, I think, is what you'd expect if the fires were the result of drunken or sleepy accidents, right? So there's no one around, the ignition source burns, and you turn to ash. I'm still baffled by it, though. I'm really still baffled by the fact that the human body could do that. Anyway... I shall not fan the flames of speculation any further. I don't know. I really don't know if it is a myth, if it actually happens. I don't know about this. But um, I really want to thank you for asking that question, because um, I have to say now I'm a little bit nervous. My room is very warm and I'm holding a rather large cocktail. Uh, just give me a minute. Um, I'm just going to turn the heat down. I'll be right back. OK, wonderful. Thank you. I've done a bit of research on this, but I've never been called upon to investigate a case of it because, well, you never know when it. <laughs> Look, if anyone out there is planning on it, give me a call in advance and I'll try to be there. So thanks very much for that question. That was very interesting. All right. Let's have a sip of this drink. Now the room is cooler. I will not spontaneously combust.
Mm. What should we do now? Oh, yes. Wait. Where's my very expensive sound effect? <laughs> yes, folks. <laughs> now it's time for Tarot a Go-Go. A little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. I think we're starting on the threes today. And because I think we did. Yeah, we finished all the twos. And the first card is going to be the three of wands. So let's take a look at this bad boy and let's see what secrets it holds. Threes. What's magical about threes? I've always associated them with um, with creation and growth. You know, um, funnily enough, there is a, a folklore thing that says that uh, the number three is linked with the human genitalia. Well, that's very interesting. Um, I think I'll just move on from that. Uh, number three. Interesting. Let's take a look. All right. Three of Wands, we see a, well, what looks like quite a wealthy merchant, really. Very well dressed. And he has the three wands, staves, staffs, whatever you want to call them, um, behind him. And, and they're quite lovely, wrapped in leather with jewels on the top. And he really is quite dapper, even though we can just see his back. And he's looking out over the sea. And it's a calm sea, relatively. And his ships are coming in. We can see the ships coming in. So most tarotologists name this card the birth of an enterprise, the successful birth of an enterprise. So I always do associate it with business. So let's take a look at it and let's see what it says to us. Well, clearly, if you're asking about business and this card comes up, I would say you're going to be successful. Your ships are coming in. They're not in port yet. They're still on the open water, but they're close and they're clearly in view. So what does that mean? Favorable early returns. You made some good planning choices. Your creative energy is being rewarded. You know, so it's, he looks satisfied. I feel he's very satisfied with what he's done. He's been waiting for these for quite a long time. He put some time and effort into this. So I think it's about projects, negotiations. Um, it could well do, of course, to do with shipping, shipping stuff as well. Um, sales, new things, you know, assistance, partnerships, I feel. Um, things are looking good. The ships are coming in. When you look at that, you go, OK, wow, we're thriving, man. It's happening. All right, we sent the money. They're sending the goods. The project is moving, but we're not over yet. But I get the sense with this card that um, I've made some good choices with my business partners as well. I have a sense of accomplishment and cooperation with this. You know, I feel good. This card makes, if, are you holding the card? Any of you holding the card? It makes me feel good. Good. I laid down good groundwork. Good news is coming. Um, I may have to travel to do with my work. That's a distinct possibility with this card. Uh, and now the ships are coming in. I've got to go and tell everyone that the ships are coming in, which means I'm going to start the second phase of my project or the next phase of my project. So um, lots of action associated with this. Everything's in motion. Your ships are coming in, but you're not, it's not over. Now you've got to unload it and get on with the rest of it. So it's not just about merchants and commerce and, and uh, people who make goods. This is about, you know, the whole business, the moving of energy. Now, let's turn it upside down. One of the things in tarot that people get hung up about a lot is how do I read the card reversed? Do I read the card reversed? And here's where I say, and something I say all the time with tarot, you don't just get a card and you don't just look in the book. You have to sleep with your cards, look at your cards, spend time with your cards until the characters on the cards come to life and tell you what that particular information you're looking for is. Sometimes when I read for people, the card comes up reversed. I don't feel I should read it reversed. Sometimes I do. 
And sometimes it's upright, but I feel I should read it reverse. Intuition grows with familiarity. Okay. So, however, just from a purely technical textbook point of view, when I turn this upside down, oh, my God, the water's all pouring on my head. That's never good, is it? So what happened? My plans didn't work out, obviously. But is that because it was, is that me? Did I have unrealistic expectations? Did I overinvest? Did I grow my business too quickly? Um, was I arrogant? Was I selfish? Did I not take advice from people I should have? Was I careless? Was I stubborn? Um, it's not good. But somehow or another, I just get the feeling that I was too proud to ask for help when I turn this in the reversed position. I suppose it's the proverbial, I couldn't put my money where my mouth was. Perhaps someone let me down, an offer never came through. Perhaps I'm just unrealistic. And perhaps I just bit off more than I could chew. Hmm. Lovely card, though. Beautiful card, especially in the um, upright position. So there we have it, the three of wands. Hmm. Lovely. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I do love a bit of tarot. I will be starting an online course because everything's online these days, isn't it, really? Um, I'll be starting an online course for people who want to learn to read the tarot. And it'll probably be an eight part series. So look out for that on my website. And then if you would like to know what I'm up to, because I certainly would, please go to my website, arniavadician.com. Sign up for my newsletter, Monday Message. It comes out on the first Monday of each month. And you get all sorts of tidbits and stuff in there, plus discounts and special offers that I do not put on my website because I don't want to keep bothering my partner to update my website every five minutes. So sign up for that. And then there's links to my YouTube videos here with Cosmic Reality Radio and my own channel. It's going to be a very exciting year, people. I have a lot of things land um, and a whole new set of podcasts coming up as well so my sweet darlings whom i love so much let me thank you all for all the support that you showed me in 2020 for writing in and uh, you know for all the lovely gifts that you send me i'm just so delighted to be able to check in with you every other wednesday i know this goes out live but then we put it up on various um, media platforms this is just a wonderful thing that we're doing, connecting, asking questions, answering questions. It's a beautiful thing to have a community of like-minded people. I want to remind you, um, because we are going to have such an awkward year, please maintain your sense of humor. Be nice to yourself. When you're nice to yourself, you're going to be nice to other people. There's a lot of information I'm going to share with you this year. A lot. I'm going to I'm going to be very bold this year and talk a little bit about my career. And um, I want to talk about the way the world is going. So I have a lot to share with you. So meditate, breathe deeply and just try to try to focus on the outcome, which is that we're co-creating a whole new world. Now I'm going to take a sip of this drinky poo poo. Mm, which is absolutely delicious. My darlings, I cannot believe the hour is almost over. I think that's it for today. I have just this minute and all too quickly finished my cocktail. And that means the end of the show. And I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it because I had a blast. I always do. Today, being January the 6th, 2021, our real life cocktail is a classic bourbon sour, which I have renamed the Sour Patriot because we are all a bit pissed off right now. You use Kentucky bourbon, maple syrup from Vermont, oranges from Florida, and American-grown Peninsula premium cocktail sherries. How do we make it? Well, I'll tell you. You add all the ingredients into a cocktail shaker, you fill it with a handful of ice, and you shakey-shakey until it's very, very cold. Then you strain the drink into a glass, serve with ice, and then you can decorate with an orange peel and a cocktail sherry. And then you drink it. 
and it's very nice indeed. Now remember folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. To all the sour patriots out there, stay strong, ditch the illusion of partisan politics. This is freedom versus tyranny, light versus dark. May God bless and guide us all and keep those who work diligently to expose and dismantle corruption safe in the golden light of divine grace. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Avedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you.